Welcome to Health System CIO's Partner Perspective Interview Series. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Today we're talking with Mark McArdle, Chief Products and Design Officer at Improvada, about the state of security in health systems, how those organizations are working to balance security and usability, and where identity governance fits into the equation. Mark, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's great to be with you today, Anthony. All right, very good. Mark, you want to tell me a little bit about your organization and your role? Absolutely. So I'm the Chief Product and Design Officer at Improvada, and our mission in the product team is to define the ways that we can leverage digital identity to, en to enable clinicians to have fast and effective access to all the tools and technologies they need to help their patients. And we do that by working closely with our clinical partners, both inside Improvada, as well as our customers, to understand how to use digital identity to improve cybersecurity and clinical workflow efficiency. And I've been in cybersecurity for about 25 years, love the space, I love the worthiness of cybersecurity, but when you're doing it in healthcare, it takes on an other, an, a whole new level of, of uh, worthiness. And you mentioned that idea of doing it in healthcare. So tell me a little bit about your experience. Uh, I know you came from outside of healthcare. Um, healthcare often has an inferiority complex, uh, especially around security uh, and probably with good reason. But uh, tell us a little bit about where you came from and how that informs your perspective. Sure, I've, I've always had healthcare customers, but never had the focus on the clinical side like we do it in Pravada. And what that's uh, really highlighted to me is the challenge that CIOs and CISOs face in healthcare that's different than say financial. Um, you know, a lot of my customers over the past 20 plus years have been in financial markets and because they are professional risk managers and they are heavily regulated by the SEC, there's a lot of proactive effort underway to drive the, the, the overall cybersecurity hygiene to a better and better state. And they're measured, those CISOs and CIOs in, in uh, financial are measured very differently than uh, by their users than they are in healthcare. You know, in healthcare, you're, you're really, your focus is on making sure clinicians have access to everything they need. You know, uh, downtime is bad. You know, friction in helping them get their work done is bad. So it's a, it's a very different dynamic when you're trying to make sure that the, the infrastructure you're using is always available and always secure, you know, patched and up to date. But uh, change is a risk and change comes with it, the possibility of breaking something in the clinical environment. So it's a, it's a more acute challenge, I think, for healthcare uh, professionals than uh, that we see in other sectors. Well, I understand what you're saying. But in both industries, you have what I would call powerful customers, internal customers, powerful users. Now, maybe the difference in healthcare to me is that a lot of your powerful users are not employees of the health system, right? They have privileges there. These are high powered individuals, but you know, also in financial services, you have powerful users, but they are employees. Does it, that gives you, I guess, a greater degree of control, influence, say? Yeah, I think there are some, some big differences. That's one of them, but also I think the, the healthcare environment relies on shared devices much more so than typically in other enterprise environments where you have your own laptop, you have your own workstation, your own phone, things like that. In the clinical environment, high reuse, high shared use of uh, devices is, is normal and accelerating, especially with mobile devices becoming more and more prevalent. So that makes the, the security aspects much more difficult to manage than just say, you know, lock down your own PC with your own MFA token 
you're not logging in and out of that system dozens of times a shift or even hundreds of times a shift. So there's a couple issues there. One is, as you mentioned, it might be an iPad that is shared uh, with different people. So when a shift comes on, a shift comes off, it goes to the next person. Um, then that's totally different than bring your own device, which we know is an element in healthcare. I don't know how prevalent that is in other industries where you're using your personal phone to do trades. I can't imagine that's that's very prevalent. Yeah, you're typically using enterprise yeah. resources that are assigned to you as the individual in, in most uh, financial and even normal enterprise use cases. And if we look at healthcare in the non-clinical side, the administrative side, they resemble more the typical enterprise user where they have their laptop, they have access to Office 365, and that's, you know, maybe there's a few other apps, but then you flip to the clinical side and there's dozens and dozens of applications that the clinicians need access to all that have digital identity and security, you know, requirements that go along with them. And, uh, and that's a, that's a much more complex problem to manage. So we know healthcare is complicated and complex and nowhere perhaps more so than around identity uh, and perhaps never more so than dealing with COVID um, and how COVID required people to be moved into different roles, fill in here, fill in there. Um, everybody moved around, privileges were given, access privileges were given, perhaps not taken away, which is a dynamic that we know about in healthcare where um, they get more and more and more uh, as you move around, but perhaps never the old ones are taken away. Uh, do you see do you see that dynamic having happened? Do you see it as having been an issue that was much exacerbated dealing with COVID uh, and now uh, quite a mess out there for a lot, a lot of folks to deal with? Absolutely. Managing digital identities has always been a challenge, but today healthcare CISOs and CIOs are coming out of an extraordinary period of challenge which exposed the risks of doing provisioning and deprovisioning in a manual or non-automated way. And COVID changed everyone's plans. It was all hands on deck to bring on and provision lots of new clinicians and change a lot of clinical workflows. We refer to the surge of hiring as one challenge, but an even bigger challenge was the reallocating or reassigning staff to areas of higher need. Mm -hmm. For example, an ambulatory nurse is moving to ED or ICU to help with influx COVID patients and those existing staff needing different access based on this new role they have. The, the mass provisioning was a huge challenge, but as the dust is settling now, CIOs and CSOs are figuring out the best way to bring order to it all. Uh, and one aspect of bringing order is deprovisioning or removing access that was supposed to be temporary. Otherwise, you end up with this stacking problem where mm -hmm. clinicians accumulate entitlements and access to systems that they don't need and, and shouldn't have. And that's really where identity governance comes into play. That's where it really drives a ton of value. And the, the real compliance and ROI benefits are, I think, what's driving the attention on identity governance today. Let's talk about risk. Um, you think that's, is that one of the core elements of a CISO's job is knowing, knowing risk and communicating risk, correct? Absolutely. They are risk managers. You know, you can't invest in everything to a hundred out of a hundred. You have to identify where your greatest concentration of risk is. What are the things that you can do culturally inside an organization? What are things you can do with technologies? There's a lot of different aspects and lenses through which to view risk, but ultimately that's what you are as a professional risk manager. And I, I would imagine that rarely in the past has a risk profile shifted so quickly 
and and perhaps so in a, in a way that's so difficult to know as dealing with COVID, you know, that six months of last year. Um, do you think it, was this a unique situation for CISOs out there to to sort of not even know uh, where they stood for a little bit, and now sort of are we in a regrouping process, and you have CISOs trying to get their arms around their new risk profile? Yeah, I think what what we recognize coming out of COVID, or at least seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, is that the understanding of how to manage risk within healthcare uh, has evolved. You know, the the focus um, on remote work that COVID brought into play has drove a lot of new both infrastructure required requirements, but also new new risks to be managed. Uh, and and coming out of COVID, we're starting to see you know, this hybrid work environment, that, that's not going away anytime soon. So the, the common thread though that I see through all of this and, and, and COVID, you know, primarily being responsible for driving this real new influx of, of clinicians, either bringing them back from retirement, graduating college classes early, that really emphasized the need to be able to manage digital identity, get these clinicians productive day one, you know, you've got to have entitlements to all the systems you need to serve the patients that you're assigned to. Uh, that's critical. And if you can't do that for days or weeks, you know, that's not helpful. That, that's, that's inefficient. And, and the second part is just making sure that over time, as a clinician moves through their career, they're going to be in different groups, different uh, entitlements will be part of that role, but they shouldn't just accumulate them over time. That's a compliance challenge. Uh, and ultimately, you know, with with the thing, the way things are, are regulatory pressures evolve over time, getting ahead of that is probably a better thing. And, and then when you add to it just the ROI, you know, what, what does it cost to have a doctor or nurse not fully provisioned for a couple of weeks? You know, what is it, you know, what's the actual cost of that? And uh, and those are the things that I think are important to be evaluating. As we get out of COVID, we're starting to see the focus on strategic investments to make the organizations as a whole more more efficient those are starting to be dusted off again but during covid we were working with our customers and just to make sure they had what they needed in terms of digital identity tools from us and uh you know some of the bigger projects we understood they had to go on hold yeah you talk about coming out of covid and you know we've touched on this issue before in our interviews the idea of picking up or, or seeing where you left off. So, all right, what sort of was interrupted? Um, and then what are the realities of the new world we're living in? And a reprioritization has to take place of, okay, this was one, two, and three in January 2020. What's one, two, and three now? Um, we even know some of the tele telemedicine numbers have come down significantly from their highs. I've talked to CIOs who say, that's not quite the priority that it was. Uh, it you just can't. We're just not assuming that it's uh, all the money going into providing remote care because the numbers went down. So that's just the reality. And they say, okay, if those numbers are down, we're going to focus on other places. What are your thoughts around this concept of reprioritizing what was interrupted, um, and what's your advice there as far as keeping identity governance? in the mix uh it's we talked about this before you and i it's a challenging project it's a big project and it's not a cheap project but it's an important project uh so what are your thoughts there 
Yeah, it's it's identity governance is is not a small tactical project that you can roll through in a couple of days. It, it, it is uh, a, a complex, potentially complex endeavor. But the uh, the complexity of the roles, the number of disparate technologies, the use of shared devices, all make this a bigger challenge in healthcare than in your typical Office 365 enterprise user. But the first step is to identify the, the best solutions in the market that understand and focus on the unique requirements of healthcare and leverage existing digital identity investments. You know, there are a lot of technologies from the EMRs through the vast ecosystem of uh, clinical applications that all have identity requirements. And being able to integrate with that vast ecosystem so that when you bring on a new clinician, they are in the groups that they need to be with all of the entitlements that are, are necessary for them to be successful in that role. That's something that requires, you know, both uh, curation and driving insights from how your digital identities are being used today. And that's one of the things that we, we encourage customers to do is leverage how your, your credentials are being used today, because that can be another lens through which to drive ROI, where if you know how many clinicians are actually using clinical application X, and you might have over-provisioned that by 4X, you know, there's cost savings there. But this is part of the challenge where if you don't get on top of that and you don't use uh, you don't use identity governance as a tool to drive ROI to become more efficient, you're, you're leaving budget that is precious on the table and it's being sort of wasted. So I think that that's, a, that's an important aspect is make sure you're able to leverage the, the digital identity infrastructure you have today uh, to be the starting point for how to curate going forward. So leveraging what you have, um... You know, you mentioned leveraging what you have. You're talking about picking the right vendor. It's a big project. It's a complicated project. You pick the right vendor, obviously one who knows healthcare, one who knows how to do this. It's going to be easier, right? Yeah. That's one of the concepts there. Um, but we have to first pick the project. We have to first decide that we want to do this, mm -hmm. and then we can make sure we pick the right vendor and all that. Um what are some reasons if, if I mean, it's almost a no brainer. Here's the, here's my issue. It seems like a no brainer. The more I've talked to people about this, you can't manage this manually. It's impossible to do it in, in a, in a, in a conscientious way manually. So why are people not doing it? People who aren't doing it, who should be doing it, which is pretty much everybody. Why are they not? It's a great question. I think it varies a lot from one organization to another, but I think maybe a common thread has been budgets are really tight and, you know, a governance tool doesn't sound, you know, at the, at the 50,000 foot level, like an absolutely critical must have clinical infrastructure. And this is why it's so important to tie it back to ROI. You know, and we, and we get that and we focus on that with, with all of my portfolio products. We focus on what's the ROI driver here. You know, it's great to manage risk, it's a lot of things you have to do in cybersecurity. CISOs are used to this. It doesn't change the needle ROI-wise. It reduces risk, and it's an important risk to manage, but you're not getting more efficient because you do it. And in some cases, maybe many cases, it actually kind of breaks the usability side and makes it harder for your users. But in the, uh, in, in the, uh, in the identity governance side, this is a, a real clear-cut case for ROI because you are making your clinicians more efficient sooner. They are able to fully access all the tools they need and you are managing risk and efficiency better over the life cycle of those clinicians by making sure their entitlements are always up to date and accurate and deprecated where they no longer need them. 
So that's that's the assistance. Uh, you know, let's say we've got CISOs and CIOs that want to do this. You're giving them uh, the argument uh, to to make to whoever they need to make it to. Uh, they 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 want to do this, but they need to get the dollars approved. That that could be where a lot of people are stuck. We're saying that could be where things get stuck. You're giving them the argument because you're saying risk reduction might not be the winning one. That might not take the day, but ROI you're saying is legit, it's there, and that's what's going to get it across the finish line in terms of approval. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is one of those fortunate areas where you can improve the efficiency, stretch your resources to go further by managing identities better. And uh, and, and that's been borne out time and time again with all the customers that we've, uh, we've engaged with. Um, but I, I do think it is important to, to understand that in healthcare especially, that ROI is a key driver in making cybersecurity investments. Um, you know, there, it's not as highly regulated as, say, financial is uh, yet. Uh, there are certainly you know, rigorous regulations in place <clears throat> around managing patient uh, data, but there is uh, <clears throat> also an, a need for recognizing that in order to become safer, we also have to find ways to fund that and making the environments <clears throat> either through license management or just making our uh, our healthcare providers more efficient and productive uh, goes a long way. And you said there's a, there's a usability argument here too. We talked about balancing security and usability. That's a classic issue when it comes to security is we put in security measures um, and sometimes they reduce usability. You know, you have to do two-factor authentication, takes you a few extra seconds, people get upset. Um, but it's a trade-off like everything else. So what are your thoughts around how identity governance, implementing identity governance affects the usability versus security, security balance? Yeah, it's a great point. And, and uh, you know, cybersecurity has been notorious at times for forcing a zero-sum game between security and usability. You know, I'm going to make you more secure, but it's going to come at the direct expense of how your users experience the resources. And passwords are a great example. Long, complex passwords are definitely more secure, but they're a nightmare for regular humans to manage. <laughs> uh, clinicians are very smart and they're devoted to their patient care mission. So things that get in their way are either quickly killed or worked around. And we've seen some very creative ways that clinicians get around attempts to make things more secure that get in their way of the patients. Uh, but we have seen how digital identity is being used effectively as the control plane. And it's resulted in improved clinical efficiency that drives real measurable ROIs, as well as increased cybersecurity compliance and reduced risk. And that's rare. I mean, I've been in this industry and in cybersecurity a long time, and, and it's rare when the tumblers line up that by doing the right thing to manage and lower cybersecurity risk, you also become more efficient at the other end. That's, uh, that's a special uh, combination. And it all ties down to that basic fact that we focus on the clinician's experience. We wanna get technology out of their way and help the technology serve them so they get to their patients, spend more time with the patients, less time with the tech. And identity governance helps to make sure that that's a consistent uh, deliverable when their entitlements and all of the accesses that they need are managed throughout their entire life cycle, not just in a shift, but their whole entire career. I've uh, spoken to your chief medical officer, Dr. Sean Kelly, a number of times. Um, one of uh, the things that impressed me most that he says is, as a clinician, don't interrupt me. When I'm doing something, when I'm deep in thought and I'm trying to figure something out, don't interrupt my train of thought. That's very damaging. 
Um, what, how does that relate to what we're talking about today and the technologies of identity governance? Oh, it's, it's a great point. And I love working with Dr. Kelly and his clinical team because they really are our direct connection to what the clinicians need out of our products. We wanna make sure that digital identity protects the patient data, protects the clinicians, and derives the efficiencies that are needed. We want every second that a clinician could be spending with a patient, spent with the patient. And if there are things we can do to optimize that, that's what Sean, Dr. Kelly and his team, they live right in the center of that. But the, uh, the, the key message there is that, you know, as much as strong passwords and things like that are, uh, are great for cybersecurity, when you're a clinician who needs to type in a password 40 or 50 times a shift, that becomes a real problem. That's a real efficiency issue. Um, you know, and, and walking in and out of a patient's room with, uh, you know, doing a test or updating some vitals and going back to a shared workstation and have to type in that, that long passphrase again, that's a mess. So our focus is on finding ways to make sure the security is still there through robust biometrics, through uh, tap and go capabilities on, on, on robust cryptographically secure uh, smart cards and things like that. So th this is not about getting all the security out of the clinician's way. It's doing the security in a way that makes it transparent to the clinicians and in many ways makes them more efficient while being secure. And that's a great mission for us. And it's exciting to see how that's evolved especially now that we're looking at governing the identities. You know, it's one thing to talk about a clinician one-on-one, -on -one, but when you're dealing with thousands of clinicians, all with maybe different roles, or at least split into many hundreds of different groups of, uh, of types of accesses they need, that managing that uh, chaos is, uh, is incredibly hard if you don't have the right uh, capabilities deployed. You, you uh, have a significant base of customers um, you're not a startup. Sure. Uh, so I think it's worthwhile to, if you want to talk to them about what's next uh, from Improvado, what's coming down the pipeline, um, they're curious, you know, they, it, it, partner, you get to that level of partner where they're a real, you're a real part of what they do. They want to know what's exactly. next. Yeah. I, and I spend a lot of time talking with CIOs and CISOs in healthcare and, and, and the one, and the ones in, highly regulated markets that have come into healthcare, if you're coming from financial or, you know, a military or somewhere where there's uh, a significant appreciation of cybersecurity risk, um, you know, the, the ones that are coming from that market realize that the CISOs in, in financial, for instance, work together collaboratively. They realize they were all sort of doing the same work individually, whether it's on uh, cybersecurity due diligence questionnaires. You know, how do we vet the, the proposed, you know, vendors we're going to use? How do we share vendor insights? So, you know, they built a really good ecosystems where they share that knowledge and leverage each other's uh, experiences. Um, you know, they realize they don't do this alone. And certainly in financial, when the SEC started bringing handcuffs to play for not doing the right things from a cybersecurity perspective, that drove a lot of attention. And I think if we look down the road, you know, financial is probably the place that cybersecurity sort of leads. They're on a bit of a bleeding edge because they have big budgets and they are professional risk managers. But if we appreciate where things are headed, you know, healthcare CIOs and CISOs should be looking to think about how cybersecurity risk is being more prescribed from regulatory perspective. And, you know, healthcare will, won't be the same exactly as, as financial, but some of the same uh, risks have to be managed. We've seen what's happening today with uh, ransomware. I mean, that this is 
this is horrifying what's going on with, with some hospitals being taken down for days and, and sometimes weeks. But these are the, uh, the types of things that are going to force, you know, a lot more focus and, and hopefully support for CISOs when they are you know, making the pitch to, to the board and the exec team to get investments for uh, things that are going to make the organization both safer and more efficient. So you speak to quite a few CISOs and CIOs at Health Systems. I want to take them one at a time. I want to take CISOs first. Can you tell me any characteristics that you see in the ones that impress you? So the CISOs that you find impressive, you think mm-hmm. they're bringing something serious to the table. What are some common traits there? Well, I think if you're a CISO who has long tenured, uh, you're doing really well because it's a <laughs> tough job. It is not an easy job. You know, the, we had the expression, you know, the bad guys only have to be right once and you have to be right every single time. And it's an asymmetric warfare the tools are evolving. The, bio, the, the you know the bioweapons that they're deploying online now are uh, evolving faster than the defenses in, in, in some areas. It's always been that way. It's always been cat and mouse. But the successful CISOs are the ones that look at others and learn. You know they mm-hmm. they 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 steal the best practices. They are constantly paranoid about not thinking about things the right way and uh, and building uh, real threat models that that are not an academic experiment, but based on the reality of the complex environments they're responsible for, it's a tough job. And I have huge respect for those that are doing it and want to support them in any way they need. But the, you know, the CISOs really are the you know, primarily risk managers and they have to have a good appreciation of the attack surfaces that they're responsible for. And take CIOs now, different profile for success. Yeah, the CIOs, I think, are, are still primarily judged on uh, availability. You know, what's working and what keep it working. And they live at the intersection of that tension between cybersecurity best practice and not annoying or frustrating their clinical users. And that's a tough place to live. And, and you know, I've seen and experienced uh, challenges in the past where, you know, a multi-million dollar MRI machine is running an old version of Windows, uh, and it's you're not able to patch it because that would potentially break its FDA certification. So you're left now with, well, I have an MRI machine that could be potentially hacked unless I put other secondary measures in place, or I update it and it's no longer legal for me to use as an MRI machine. So you don't find that in a lot of other hmm. industries, and it's a particular challenge there. So you know the CIOs they they have a very tough job as well, and and you know that's why we're so motivated to try and find ways to help lighten the load. And you know we under, we understand those challenges. Yeah, and we see a lot of them now. Do you see a shift from from those individuals managing? the work to managing vendors doing the work as things go managed services and things go in the cloud, the job almost becomes different. It does. And again, in other industries, we've seen this and a new practice has come out called vendor risk management, where you're not just as the CIO or CISO responsible for the things that you directly manage, but you're responsible for that ecosystem that you bring in, whether they're cloud vendors or, you know, an outside email, you know, email list vendor, things like that. So the, the expectation is that your responsibility is going to grow as you use more potentially cloud technologies, but your direct control over those is different than it had been traditionally, where you could walk down to your data center, talk to your own IT people, and, uh, and, and get the issue resolved. So, but that's the way it's, it's moving. I mean, the, the compelling economics of the cloud 
and getting hospitals out of managing data centers, you know, replace data centers with more beds, you know, that, that makes sense, you know, both commercially and, and academically, but it is a different kind of role and it's, it requires careful planning because healthcare, again, is not the same as a lot of other industries. There's complexity there that ultimately manifests itself in how well the clinicians view the change. All right, Mark, we only have a few minutes left. I just want to get some final thoughts from you, uh, words of wisdom, words of advice. Uh, again, the way I see this, and I've I've looked at this issue a lot, is uh, manual is, is not an option. Um, you know, you, you need to move forward with some automated system. Uh, they're not cheap and they're not easy to put in, but you have to move forward. You've given them some arguments to be able to put to the other executives to get this approved to explain that this is a worthwhile spend. Uh, the and you, Wes Wright, uh, your CTO, had talked about the spaghetti that's left, meaning the mess from COVID in terms of identity. Uh, we we have to believe that that's there. What are your final thoughts? You want to leave people with? Well, I I think it's important to not just kick this can down the street. I mean, it is important to become as efficient as you can uh, with the resources you've got. Identity governance is an important tool in that arsenal. And if you focus on the ROI side of it and not think of it as just a management tool uh, that'll print out some compliance reports, it's much bigger than that if done properly. So when you look at identity governance, look for things that really understand healthcare. I mean, it is not the same as, you know, a 5,000 person using their own laptop windows with Office 365 environment. Healthcare is messy in terms of tech. And, and there's a lot of the integrations. There's a lot of third party pieces that, that have to come together. And if, uh, if you're focusing on identity governance, that complexity has to be part of what the solution absorbs. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't absorb that complexity, it's going to be left. The spaghetti will be left on your plate. So make sure you're doing uh, your homework and recognizing that the solutions out there aren't all the same. And ones that have demonstrated ROI consistently in healthcare are the ones to put top on your list. And spaghetti equals risk, right? Spaghetti is risk. Absolutely. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> all right. Very good, Mark. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciated the chat. Thanks a lot, Anthony. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.